고민해 고민을 거듭하는 것이 Welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. I am your host Liam Bird, and I have to tell you, I am sweating. Uh, I built a little home studio, which you are currently hearing me in, and at no point did I ever think about the weather. I mean, why would you? This UK is usually a cold fucking country, but it's September, and it is hot. It is so fucking hot, and I've got nothing in this little room to help me with temperature. Uh, I was contemplating getting a little pool of ice water and dipping my feet in that, but I am lazy, so I have not done that. I am sweating, and I have to... I don't know if you guys do this, but I hate being sweaty because I stink. Like, I'm a stinky little boy. So I have to change my T-shirt, like, three times a day, and I haven't got that many T-shirts, and uh, I've also put on a bit of weight, so most of my T-shirts are really clingy. So I just feel uncomfortable. Um, Anyone else feel like that? Anyone else want to share? No, don't blame you. So I even think I actually spoke about like the weather last time I opened up the last podcast. I think I said we were either on fire or underwater. And um, it would seem to be that climate change hasn't magically fixed itself in the few weeks since our last little conversation together. So... Come on, nerds, fix that shit. It's uh, it's getting hot, and I need you to help me with me and my t-shirt situation. Anyway, well, we're stuck in this mess, aren't we? So why not enjoy some quality podcast entertainment? Uh, I'm talking about this podcast, by the way, not the other podcast that you probably put on before this podcast, because let's face it, we have like a hierarchy of podcasts that we listen to, don't we? Ones that we think are more important than the other podcasts. It's okay. I know how it works. So uh, guess what? I have actually got a band, a a person from a band for this episode. It's been a, a, a little minute since we've done that, since we've actually had someone from a band to interview. So uh, let's crack on. Let's dive right in. So my guest for this episode of Punks in Pubs is none other than Dylan Slocum, the singer, guitarist and songwriter for the incredible band Spanish Love Songs. Dylan and I had a chat in early September 2023, uh, if you're listening straight away, literally a couple of days ago, before the band's forum show in Kentish Town, London, and we were sat in possibly a, uh, what can only describe as a greenhouse of a pub, because fuck me, it was hot. In that time, we covered up a lot of ground. We talked about magazine epitaphs, uh, what magazines would say if we died, alcoholism, venue stewards, spreadsheets, sexy, and inspired by Jeff Rosenstock's post about venue cuts on merch, we spoke about unionization as well, plus a shit ton more. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation and I think you will too, so kick back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Spanish love songs Dylan Slocum. Drum across the Nebraska for the fourth time in a year The sky looked like a crack phone screen I saw an angel on a hill Built on top of a landfill Overlooking the mess I 
so fuck the garden in the yard I can barely tend my own dreams Maybe a big life isn't ours Shut down in the middle of the street Oh, you had me there for a second I started to believe that we currently sat in possibly one of the most hot stuffy bars in the moment in Kentish Town. It's an unseasonably hot September. Um, I was just currently, uh, Dylan by the way is in front of me from um, Spanish Love Songs and we were just talking about the environment and how hot it is and how unpredictable the weather is. So I suppose my first question to you would be, how are you with changing climates? Are you quite easy to climatize or are you one of those people that like if it's freezing you hate it, or if it's too hot, you hate it. Is there ever like a Goldilocks? No, I can just get used right? to it. I uh, grew up in the desert in Southern California, so I'm used to the heat and I hate it. Um, is that dry heat or it's is a dry it? heat? Yep. And then I've lived in Nashville the last few years, which is a wet heat, and I also hate it. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you can always warm yourself up if you're cold, but you cannot cool yourself down if you're hot. Hmm. Um, yeah, we are not meant to live in this heat. It's not good. <laughs> not- uh, no, I, I hate it immensely. The big appeal of touring Europe, especially in September, September on, is that it's supposed to be cool. <laughs> Australia, I mean, granted, it's winter in Australia, but Australia was colder than London has been, or the UK is, at large has been. So, um, yeah, welcome to the future. How do, you, how do you deal with it, like, in a van? Like, is it windows down, or is it aircon full and windows up? We're in the van. So we're on the bus this tour, which has been interesting because there's days where we can't get like the big ac running so it's hot uh we're in the van which is most of the tours um it's windows up aircon on for fuel efficiency yep because windows down on a highway is really bad at your for your fuel (laughs) trust me we have all the secrets all the secrets locked down I suppose that's the point, isn't it, really, of, like, a, uh, starting out as a DIY band. You, like, you, you know, like, off the accelerator on the way down. Yeah. Kind of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. point learn. breaks of breaking points to save and gas. Listen, I'm, like, I am, I have spreadsheets about how much gas we spent and, like, what our fuel mileage was and how we could improve things. And, yeah, because it's not, I don't know, being conscious about that stuff is good. It lets you not lose money all the time, which makes touring a slightly less uh, idiotic thing to do. <laughs> Are you a spreadsheet kind of guy? You, you're one of those people who love loves numbers? Yeah, love a spreadsheet. Um, my whole life is spreadsheets. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's a good, I don't know, data makes sense when you lay it out like that on a table. I mean, for I'm, I'm severely dyslexic, so whenever I see spreadsheets, it just becomes gobbledygook. Just crossing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just weird. Like I can't compute it all, all the information. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, and interpreting it is definitely yeah. I mean, it's a skill for sure. But yeah, I think I'm a big spreadsheet guy or a big list guy. I like mm-hmm. lists. So yeah, maybe I just like narrow, long pieces of information as opposed to all at once, I guess. Do you color code? I know someone who color codes, loves a color code. Yeah, I don't, I'll color code when I'm being like 
fickle about something, but I don't, I won't always use it. What I usually do is set up like a conditional format. This is so dorky. I'll set up like a conditional formatting. So like, I don't actually have to color code. It'll kind of auto color code. Um, that's like the real secret. I guarantee there's someone listening to this loving it. Yeah, like of course. Proper nerding of course. Like out. Like if like... contains this, then color this, you know, <laughs> just some logic stuff. It's great. So we're sat here. You've got a cider. I've got myself a beer. Yeah. Um, you just, let's start doing the plugs. You just released a new album, No Joy. But people might not know is that you released a beer or a stout alongside the album. Yeah, it was a Imperial Pastry Brown Ale. Um, that we did with our friends at Solaris Beer and Blending and Horace Aged Ales in California. Um, yeah, we brewed it like last August, right when we finished, or when we were mixing the record in California, we brewed it. And then just with how long everything took, it just sat and aged in, in I think, oak casks for about, I, f- I forget how long. And they circulated with a bunch of coconut and stuff. and. Uh, yeah, it ended up being like 16% alcohol, which yeah, is Yeah, I saw 17%. how heavy, it's a heavy, heavy beer. Yeah, but the, <clears throat> it doesn't taste heavy. Like, mm. it's nice. It, it tastes exactly, so it was pitched to me, um, we were on a thread, like a chat chain with the three, the brewers and me, pitching flavor ideas, and Horace, uh, Kyle from Horace was like, no joy. I'm thinking like, what if we did like an almond joy without the almonds? And I was like... Yes, and that's kind of what it tastes like. It's like a beautiful coconut pastry brown. It's uh, it's lovely. You can't drink very much of it. You get absolutely hammered. It's uh, which is fun. You have one bottle. It's like a specialty bottle, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a dessert beer. Like you have absolutely, it's meant to be enjoyed in a dark room with oak furniture and or oak oak bookshelves and. a nice oversized couch and like, uh, you know, by candlelight or something. Is that your drink to go to, a porter? Like, are you- If I'm like, drinking beer? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I like a big, I like a nice dark beer. Or I like stuff that's robust. I'm not like a big hoppy guy. So I like like a good brown ale. I love a stout, I love a porter. Um, <clears throat> and sorry, my voice is all over. Uh, and then I also really enjoy Belgian beers. So yeah, stuff that's like, Something that packs a punch. Yeah, Belgian packs, beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck exactly. You up. Yeah, <laughs> without like, you knowing. Unless I'm hitting like a minimum eight percent, like why am I drinking? <laughs> Put some effort into that <laughs> drinking. So how was like drinking culture at home? Was it like kind of like European, whereabouts you can have a glass of wine at twelve? No, no, not at all. Um, I'm sure that wouldn't have been an issue, but it just never really came up. Uh, um, <clears throat> no, uh, I have a lot of alcoholics in my family, so drinking okay. is. Drinking at home was always sort of a mixed thing. Um, there was long periods where there was no alcohol in the house. So, yeah, I think it just depends. But I think because of that, we all kind of grew up with a healthy fear of alcohol. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we all have our our phases, I guess. But, um, yeah, no, it wasn't anything. I, I had friends who it was, like, very European for them. Yeah, like, I could have a beer with dinner when you're 16. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't like beer when I was 16. So that was the other thing, I guess. Um, yeah, it's much more of a late life, you know, or enter my 20s type thing and start to enjoy and appreciate it. So you wasn't one of those kids who would go to the park and they'll, they'll smuggle a beer from their dad's no. cabin or anything like that? I mean, the other thing is beer back then in America was so shitty. It'd be like, we'd go to a party and it would just be all Bud Lights, which is just terrible. Oh, we've got Carling. You've had, you ever had Carling? I've had a Carling. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, so it'd be like a lot of that. I, we would do like hard alcohol when we were in high school. So like whiskey. Like rum or whiskey and stuff mm. like that, which is fun. Make like little little cocktails. Um, 
I didn't even really truly start appreciating beer probably until I came to Europe for the first time when I was 22. And I remember like going to Belgium and going to Germany and being like, okay, so like I had, I had started, we had started getting like nicer craft beers and stuff in America around that time too. And I was like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. And then when I was like 23 or so, I was working on a film set and it was a day that was like this, but maybe hotter. It was probably like 40, 41 degrees um, Celsius uh, on this, this day where we were shooting. Well done for doing the conversion. Yeah, yeah, I'm used to it by this point. Um, And uh, I came home and I was just, I was wrecked. And I just had like an ice cold beer that was in the fridge and I drank it and I was like, oh, I understand my dad now. Like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't, you've spoken about it and I don't want to heal on it because obviously that's very personal, but it sounds like your dad was the, the person who was drinking and possible uh, there was more more than more than him he had he had a drinking problem in his youth i would say he's uh he went sober for about 15 years and yeah. then he started drinking much more mildly again um like kind of grew into it and like learned his his lessons i think the first time like he's not perfect but also no. at a certain age as he told us me like he was sober from like i think it was from like around 30 until now how old would he have been because I have young parents, so he would have been, so he'd been like 28 when he had me, 27. So from the time he was like, yeah, 33 until his mid 40s, almost 50, he was sober. Yeah. And he's like, I'm fucking 50. I'm gonna drink alcohol if I want to drink alcohol. Because like, you know, my demons are maybe still there, but not. I'm not an angry 33 year old yeah. man anymore. You I'm know, not but, fucking up as much around me yeah, as possible. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he started drinking, you know, more casually, and uh, he's been fine since. And, you know, he is, definitely has his days where he drinks too much, but I think that happens to some people. Um, but also, like, my grandfather was an alcoholic. And actually, around that same time, uh, he went sober, like, around when I was six, and he didn't drink the rest of his life, which was cool. Um, and then, you know, like, various family members. My great-grandfather was a famous alcoholic. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's just, it sort of runs in the family. Is it something that's made you hyper-aware regarding alcohol and being around alcohol? Um, maybe a little bit. Not yeah. a ton. I'm not... It's weird. With certain things I find I don't have... This is going to sound like a classic alcohol alcoholic thing to say, but, like, I don't have a addictive personality to certain things um but that being said yeah i've had i've had bad days where i've probably drank too much and Hmm. shouldn't have and been a bit of a a party monster i guess but yeah so yeah i guess i am aware of it is the long is the long answer well we just we just discovered something touched on your childhood there and you said that you had kind of like a young mum and dad with that in mind then were they very kind of like um was 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 they very music orientated was music played in your house constantly oh yeah oh yeah because i mean they were kids right so i grew up with like bruce springsteen 
like I have very vivid memories of Born in the USA being played in my house my entire childhood. That's just the one that I have latched onto a lot. Um, and even like even like older stuff like like Born to Run era stuff or or uh, what's the second album? The Street, The Wild Innocent, and The Street Shuffle, and. I had never consciously heard, what song is it? She's the one. I've never, I had never consciously remembered hearing She's the One. And then one day when I was like 14 or 15, it came on and I was singing every word and I was like, what? How do I know this song? And I'm like, oh, it must've just been playing my entire life. Um, but then, yeah, they were young. So like when The Offspring was hitting, you know, that in their mid twenties, right? So. Uh, offspring, Green Day, stuff like that. And, and I had an older brother who's five years older than me, so he would have been 11 when all that was happening. So, because they were, yeah, 19 and 21 when they had him. So, yeah, when they were in their early 30s, you know, they were still listening to the same stuff and then he was picking it up. So, yeah, it was always around. Um, and then the musical instruments kind of came as we got older. Um, like, they had just randomly bought a guitar for me when I was seven and then I didn't touch it until I was 12 because I was... I don't know, a dumb kid, but... I got. I read that it was because baseball was your thing. That's what I was doing, yeah. yeah. I was mostly playing baseball and, and football, since we're here. I will call it the correct name. Uh, soccer. Um, well, originally, it was called well, soccer. Con- yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah. to pull that one no, out okay, on people, yeah. though. They get all like, yeah, but it's called football now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was playing baseball and soccer a lot at that era. Um, and then, yeah, guitar started sort of happening... As I got older, and I had slightly more free time too, because I feel like we had like a very regimented childhood. Because my parents had three kids, um, and they both worked, so it was like school, home, sports, until it's dark and everybody's home from work, back home from sports, eat, homework, bed. Like it was m- almost militaristic in the schedule, mm. um, which was good. Like because I don't know how else you keep track of three kids and. <laughs> and not lose your mind and like not hate your kids <laughs> you know like you sports are good for like babysitting and teaching yeah. your kids how to socialize and, and do other stuff um probably could have done music lessons as well but i think those are maybe a little bit like sports is like the at least in america the cost of playing a team sport at least in the 90s versus the cost of music lessons was like that's like Lower middle class to middle middle class, mm. you know what I mean? So I think they were like, yeah, sports is what sports is enough. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, we can pay the $40 a year. <laughs> exactly. Know? I mean, how seriously did you take, like, were you in the mindset of sport as in this, like, I love this, this is putting all my focus in, or was you not oh, that yeah. kind of kid? Oh, no, that was me. Um, I had a lot of things that I enjoyed, but I was pretty much told, I mean, you're, I'm a big man and I could throw a baseball pretty hard from a young age, and I was told, like, you play baseball you can get a college scholarship and then who knows where it goes from there. Um, so that was kind of my focus. I mean, even to the point where I stopped playing soccer around the age of 15, 16, um, just to focus on baseball, um, which was a big bummer because I really, I think I liked soccer the most. Um, and yeah, nobody, nobody back then in America is like, you know, you could be a tall goalie and like <laughs> go to college for that and have way more fun. It was like, no, baseball, you know, football. Um, like American football, stuff like that. So I was just like, yeah, but, but yeah, I, went, I mean, I went to college for baseball. Um, it was a shock to people when I quit, just given 
what my, I guess what my expected trajectory was, but I don't know. I didn't love it that much at that point because it's, yeah. it's a lot of work. And, uh, yeah, I could, when I finally got to college, I saw people who truly like lived it in their skin and it wasn't me. Like mm. I didn't love being up at 6am for weights and then skipping class to go practice. Like I like learning and yeah. then going to practice from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. even though we're only supposed to have four hours of practice a day and the next thing you know it's like an eight-hour practice because oh who cares about the NCAA rules we just won't tell anybody and it's like all right cool I feel like these rules are in place for a reason but (laughs) what do I know I'm just a 19-year-old dipshit (laughs) because I've been playing baseball all the time I've learned nothing kind of I, I did feel a little sheltered when I got to college just in terms of like where I grew up and then yeah being so singularly focused even even with music, like where we are in our career and the age that I am, I feel like I am like five to seven years behind a lot of people who are my same age because they were just fucking off at the age of 15 and writing songs. And I didn't really start that until I was 22, 24, you know what I mean? So, but do you think, damn it. Do you think though that you're making less fuck ups than probably what they did? Cause you've got like the nounce of being a bit more mature. Yeah. I can't, well also there's just like, there's less room for error. We always joke about this. We're too old to have like a bad record. Because <laughs> when you're young, you can have a bad record and then like you can take the two or three years it takes to like come back from it. But we're like, no, as soon as we put out a bad record, we're done because we're not going to take, can't take two years away and I'll, oh, now all of a sudden I'm 40 and something and we're like trying to grow again. Like, not that I'm 40. Uh, we should get that on the record. I'm not that old. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a conscious thing of ours. And I, I, I like being older because we tend to appreciate it more. Mm. Um, the only thing that sucks about it is that like just the older you are the more sort of responsibilities you technically should have um, but I feel like our band has done a very good job of skirting all responsibilities to then be older people in a band which I think is good because it, it requires a certain level of buy-in from everybody you can't you can't half-ass it because you've either given up everything to do this or you're not doing it I, I think the difference probably is is that you've got a spreadsheet I've, we got and spreadsheets, do yo, for real? This is true. We have <laughs> spreadsheets. Um, just very quick before we move away from baseball, have you ever met or toured with John Snodgrass? I have not. So that dude is baseball obsessive. Um, this is what I've heard. To the point that you won't tour, he'll tour around the Rockies' schedule. That's he really funny. does not want to miss a game. Shout out to John. Um, That's huge, really funny. Yeah, baseball. he would probably put me to shame in terms of his baseball knowledge. Oh, he just spoke at me when I, when I spoke yeah. to him. I'm like, mate, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let, let's talk about then, like, how you got into punk and, and or how punk found you. you. You spoke about your parents kind of in the 94 rancid offspring, yeah. no effects. Was that also your brother as well? And yeah, was it it's probably mostly him, and then they kind of allowed him to do it. Um, we were very, <laughs> we were very lucky in that we sort of like our my family's first home where I grew up was across the street. This is such a like s- six levels of Kevin Bacon thing, but we were across the street from a family whose like niece who was always around uh, was dating and then married Dexter Holland. So like there was a lot of punk music coming out of that house and into our house and we had similar they had similar age kids and like so it was a big flow and uh that helped a lot and then yeah, I think it was just like what was on the radio too you know like that like Nirvana would have been huge around then so that just naturally made its way in 
Um, even stuff like Counting Crows was big around then, so it was coming in. So it was a lot of like sort of general popular music. And also like the late 80s, early 90s, like kind of pop stuff that my mom was really into. So like Ace of Bass. Um, yeah, who I know is problematic these days. <laughs> yeah. Back then we didn't realize the Nazi imagery. It's fine. Um, you know, stuff like that or stuff like Selena that was big in, the, in California at that time. Um, so it was just kind of all over. But the punk stuff, yeah, must have been coming from my brother and from the, the household whose names I've already forgotten. Um, <coughs> Roger was one of them. That's all I remember. Uh, but yeah, so like Offspring came through and then the Green Day album. I think those were the two big ones. And then by the time my brother was getting into, so that would have been 94. And he would have been 11. So then like 99, 97, Blink would have hit. So then that would have come through him. And by 99, he was in high school. So we were getting like bands like AFI, Homegrown, New, uh, Blink, like Enema of the State, uh, the Ataris, mm-hmm. stuff like that, that kind of era, that like late 90s punk era when, yeah, it was, it was great. So I'm guessing at that time, because you grew up in Annette, L.A., is that right? Yeah, I grew up like an hour and a half outside of L.A. in a place that's remotely not like L.A. at all. Um, it's, it's technically called the Inland Empire. Uh, I don't know how to describe it other than it's the home of like motocross, like where motocross yeah, yeah, yeah. Is basically got popular. And also, I always tell people it's where Breaking Bad was originally set before they moved it to Albuquerque for tax purposes. So, <laughs> yeah, that tells you everything you need. It's, like, very rural, um, kind of like the Bible Belt of California, mm-hmm. very backwards, uh, very kind of awful people um, who might not know how awful they are. Um, because they're just like, oh, this is how we live. We just hate certain people and live by certain rules and never changing, never changing, you know? Uh, yeah, it's tough, but yeah, so that's, yeah, I'm, that's where I'm from technically. So with that in mind then, obviously LA used to have a reputation for being a bit of a rough and ready place to go and watch a bit of punk music yeah, or hardcore. Yeah. Was that the case when you went or was it a case of like you heard that and then when you went to your work, your first show, what did you expect and was it? what you expected. I didn't get up to LA for shows until I was in high school, actually. So we would always go to San Diego instead. Like Soma was a big venue there that we'd always end up at. Um, or we'd go to like Orange County, Pomona level shows, like the Glass House is another famous venue or Chain Reaction. Those were more of our sort of things. By the time I was getting up to LA, it would have been 02, 03. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think it was still not the greatest, like cleaned up, city I don't know LA's, LA has a weird history of just moving which neighborhoods suck at any given yeah. time right um, I mean I've been to LA once and I've never witnessed such homelessness yeah that's like a that's a pretty growing more recent problem like last decade or yeah. so it's, okay. uh, it's very unfortunate that we can't take care of our own um, I don't understand it but yeah, I don't remember LA as, I don't know, maybe just because I'm from out there and we would always be in and out of LA for stuff anyways, that I don't remember ever being scared of LA. Uh, my great-grandmother and great-grandfather lived in LA, um, so we were always kind of around. And yeah, we would just go to, like, my first, I think my first show in LA was at the Roxy, which is fun. Um, yeah, I must have been, oh yeah, there's that breeze. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it must have been like 15, maybe 16. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember being scary at all, but maybe it was. Or maybe I was just too dumb and just like... I was also 
not much smaller than I am now by the time I was going out there. And I had a friend who was also about my size. So we would just go raise hell. You know what I mean? And just be like, what are you going to so, so do? You, you were the ones who yeah, were, we were the ones other causing trouble. Yeah, I do yeah. remember at, our, at that first show at the Roxy. Sorry, I'm just throwing That's shit around. We, uh, I forget who we were seeing, but we were standing there. It was a, like a sold out show. And we were on the left side of the room and a water bottle flew from the right side of the room and hit a security guard in the head. And he looked up and because like me and my friend were ahead above everybody else, he just like made direct eye contact with us and bull charged my friend and like tackled him into a door and like out. And yeah, we got in a fight with like <laughs> we got a security guard clearly in his thirties. And I was like, what? And I just, I went into like adult, like, young adult lawyer mode, like proper A plus student in school. And I was like, do you know how fucking old he is? His fucking dad is a lawyer. You are fucked. Like just being the most obnoxious type of kid. You know what I mean? But like also the guy just swung at a 16 year old um, who didn't do anything. And so like the venue manager came out and she was mortified and she's like, come back in, come back in, come back in. And I was like, what? And she was like, I know, I know, I know. I was just like, so yeah, I have a distrust of venue security. Um, but yeah, it must be the hardest job, though. Surely it like sucks. Kids yeah, flying over. Well, it's them fucked and up because usually me and security guards and me and bouncers get along well. Because like a big dude thing, it's like, yo, what's up? I see you. Like, <laughs> respect. Um, but yeah, I, that was a funny instance. The six foot free plus. Club. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. But that was a funny instance where yeah, they just were fucking over it. I guess. Also, yeah, I wouldn't like dealing with shitty kids in an emo show is not fun. <laughs> I'm gonna rotate a little bit. You do what you need to do. The sun is just creeping and chasing, chasing you. Exactly. So I'm not going to touch on like how uh, Spanish love songs came to be because okay. I feel like people can just go and find a podcast. You can listen to our Patreon podcast. <laughs> you got a podcast. We've, we did one for like two years on the Patreon. It wasn't anything serious, but we've joked that like people will ask me now because we did a podcast where we were like, we're never telling people how our name was chosen ever again because this is it. Yeah. And I've had interviews the cycle like, so where did the name come from? And I'm like, nope, you got to go listen to the podcast. I'm not going to do it. Is it the same as How's the Tour Going? That, that How's one. the Tour Going makes sense because that's like a dynamic thing, right? Like it's different each time. But is it though? Because it's the same. No, it's always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what if like, do you want to come in like honestly? No, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always we good. We are in debt. Like, I mean, we are suffering. Yeah, what, what do you want gonna, from me? Yeah, that would be great. No, nobody's <laughs> going to come in and talk shit. So what, what, something different, though, then, is, like, when was the first time you looked on stage and realized, shit, this is actually going to take us forward? Take us where? Forward. Like, we're gonna, oh. we, we can actually make something from this, possibly. I think we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I still maybe don't know. Maybe it's yeah, tonight. Maybe tonight. I mean, the last time we played the forum was very special. But then also, like, three weeks later, the world shut down. So I try not to put any stock. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, we, it was my birthday. We played that show. It was a blast. We went out and had what I called too much fun. Uh, and then the world shut down. So, like, I've decided to not try to measure anything we do on what the future could hold. Because, uh, like, I could walk out of the store and get hit by a car. So... If I'm trying to find happiness in what might happen five years from now, that's probably a fool's errand for me. So with that in mind then, and as I know, I know also you uh, have done music journalism or are do music journalism in the past. If you were hit by a bus, what do you think would be written in the little blurb in Kerrang? God, would Kerrang cover it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, they may. 
Uh, is Big Cheese still a thing? Is that is that still knocking around? I don't know. <laughs> what would they say? Also, I really... I, the music journalism thing is funny because, like, I did music journalism for, like, a second when I was in college. It and it around. has followed me around. Yeah. I have a really good friend who talks about it all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you know that this was, like, for a second when I was in college before I quit journalism entirely because I was told to not do it. Um, what would they say? I don't know. Foreign man gets hit by bus. <laughs> Probably should have looked the right way. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, American didn't look the yeah, right way. Yeah, didn't look the right way. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it would be that deep is the thing. I feel like there are people like, man, they were so underrated. And then we would just never, like, that would be the conversation. Like, oh, man, they're so underrated. And then it would just disappear. <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, shit, they're the biggest band on earth. They'd be like, oh, yeah, he died. That's really sad. Well, I, I would like to think that there'll be a spike in sales. So at least you'll be there helping. There might be a spike. You'll be helping your bandmates. The funnier thing, I think, would be... Um, what is this? Okay. The funniest thing would be... I think, based on people's perception of me, that there would be a post to be like, R.I.P., I hope you finally found that piece you were looking for. <laughs> and, like, I'm good. But I think there would definitely be some posts about that. Because, like, I've said that about my friends who are, like, actually troubled and who took their own lives. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, dude, there was something, like, fundamentally, like, I'm glad that you don't have to suffer anymore. And I think somebody would, thinking they know me would probably say that. But maybe on some days. But on most days, probably not. Like, I'm just a, I'm just a guy. Let's take a drive down Vermont To where the city meets the third world In a Ralph's parking lot You can watch from your side of the car we can hate everything that we see Desperation and a dying love A city block of misery But they are no more miserable than me We're so sick of being alone We have a hard time together sometimes We're gonna both die alone If you, you can't be happy think then because you, you do speak about it in your music and you have spoken about it publicly do you think, think people focus too much on your mental health when they talk to you um maybe i don't know it's very in the songs oh you're right sorry yeah I thought you thought you someone nicked your bag no i was just like where did i put it it's a fair assumption because it is so prevalent in the songs and i think it's important and the songs are getting at like deeper thoughts and thoughts that i have obviously and thoughts that other people have um so no, I think it's a fair assessment to, mm. to want to talk about that and, and want to bring it up. Uh, I just, this has been a fun, it's come up quite a few times just on interviews this time around. It's just like the assumption that I am all of the songs um, or that I'm none of the songs and it's like, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, so yeah, it's fair to bring up mental health. It maybe isn't fair to bring up my mental health. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the fun of it, right? Because like, it's clearly partially my mental health because I had the... I had the fucking thought to like put it into a song, but it doesn't mean that I am that character. Um, or like I'll read a review that will assign some like overarching story to the album and like 
the emotional and mental things that I'm going through. Or my mom sent me something where she's like, I saw that she's like, because her and my dad love our band and like absorb, they're going to listen to this podcast. Aww. So like, Shout out. they'll be so happy. Uh, but she was like, yeah, this podcast like said they tried to do research about your dead brother. And I was just like, holy shit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing, right, that you kind of put yourself up for. Um, but also, I don't care because if I was worried about it, I wouldn't sing about it. Well, I mean, is there that balance then of like writing something, knowing it's out there and know it's going to come back? And is there a part of you that's like, it's just a fucking song. Like, it's just how I felt in that moment. It's not how I feel constantly. I try to tell people that. I try to preface everything with that. Hmm. Everything's a snapshot. And also, like, people are always surprised. Like, man, you're not as, like, you're way more cheery in person than I thought you'd be. Like, you're very, like, happy and, and gregarious. Coming in with black hoodie. Yeah, and hands. I'm like, yeah, because I write the songs. Like, if I didn't have the songs, I might be a bit of a head case. But uh, the songs are there to help me, like, deal with things. Like, not solve them. Nothing is solved, but at least compartmentalize it. I don't know if that's healthy. But, like, yeah, I can focus on it, do it, push it aside, and then get on with it. I've been, I've been likening it to, uh, like, horror movie writers. Like, you meet horror movie writers, and oftentimes people have this assumption, like, oh, he must be, like, some fucking weirdo who's obsessed with death and murdering people. And it's like, nah, just some guy, like, from middle-class Iowa or something. You know what I mean? Just Listening living to his life. Yeah, 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 and just writing some fucking horror movies because it's what I'm good at. And Yeah, I, you know... I, if I could write other songs, I would, but I've found that I'm good at what we do. And these are the things I'm interested in. And even when I, you know, even this album, we really tried to, I tried to change it up and I told the band, I'm like, I'm gonna write a bunch of love songs. And then, but immediately I'm like, well, it's gonna be a love song the way that I would approach a love song, which is not like, oh my God, everything's great. I love you. It's like, oh, I love you and you're gonna die. And that sucks. Like, that's the approach of, like, that's how I approach a love song. Well, I want to talk about a new album in a second, yeah. but I just want to quickly step back because I'm interested to know because I think artists who write very personal things, I'm always interested to know how they deal with fans who think they know them through their music and then dealing yeah. with that when they come up to you and then they'll tell you something deeply personal yeah. and then you have to take that, not be rude, like, yeah. listen... But then you're dealing with that yourself. And it's like, I'm, I write music and I go on stage and I play. Like, I will listen to you because I'm a good guy, but fuck me, that was heavy. No, that's like, it's really humbling um, that people find that in the music and want to share it. And I understand that. Like, I've never been one to, to think that music, I don't know, how do I phrase this? I've never been one to go up and like gush at an artist or tell them anything. Like, I don't want to talk to artists, period, because usually they suck. Um, but I find it, yeah, it's very humbling, and uh, I take a huge responsibility in it and trying to not disappoint people and also just let them know that like it means a lot to us and we're happy that it could help in any way, no matter what that, no matter how it helps. Like, I'm not a therapist and I'm not here to help solve anybody's problems, but if you can find something in it that helps you, then, like, we did our job, and that's great. Not, like, if you know that you're not alone, then we did our job, mm. and that's cool. Anything beyond that, like, please go get professional help, because I cannot, like, I'm not good at that. That's not what I've trained for, and I'm probably going to give you bad advice. Like, don't, and thankfully, a lot of our fans, 
maybe it's just the age of our fans or just the type of music, but they aren't like, like they'll say intense things, but it's not like to put it on me. It's mm. just to thank us and to just like acknowledge that what we're doing has had an impact on them, which like I fucking love because there's no way of knowing like because we play stupid music and play in a band like there's no way of actually knowing what good we're doing or bad we're doing but like if you can tell me that I did a net good in one person's life then then awesome we did we did something good you know go and do an hour long course in therapy and then tell one person and then that's it you've then become a therapist <laughs> yeah. that's how it works yeah, I'm, I'm now a trained therapist exactly and so let's talk about the new album then No Joy um in my opinion, I think this is probably the largest step you've taken away from what you used to sound like. So either a bit more pop punky, a bit yeah. more punky, and you've gone quite new wave, and in my opinion, quite synthy. Yeah. And is that because you are maturing as a band, or is it because you're trying something different, but you, you, you... Well, actually, what I'm asking is like, is this the sound now of the band? Like, this is will the sound. you go back to that kind we of... We won't go more, back. No. This is the sound now. I'm not saying it won't change again, but we won't go back. I don't mm. think we're kind of, I mean, because after Brave Faces, like Giant was a sort of just like first idea, best idea. And like, I don't really like that album. Not even first idea, best idea. It was, these are the songs. Kyle and I have, like we recorded drums for it in a day. And then Kyle and I had a few days in his studio and just like knocked it out and you know, it was like, oh, how exciting that we can put an album out. You know what I mean? Like, let's not give any thought to whether all these songs should even be on an album. Or, like, should we write ten more songs? It was like, oh, we got songs. Put it out. And it was before Meredith joined. It was before Trevor joined. So I've, like, largely disowned that album. And if you like it, that's fine. It's just not my favorite. Do you um, still, still play it live? We played Concrete the other night. Yeah. Um, it's fine. I don't love the lyrics on that album either. They're... Even though they're largely about how bad I suck, they're still a bit mean. <laughs> um, Schmaltz was like, okay, we've, we're doing this again. Oh, what an honor it was. But like, let's try to do it again, but like make it better. But it was still very much like first idea, best idea. Get it down, get it out. Um, and then Brave Faces was like, okay, let's refine the Schmaltz thing and like, hone in on it and be deliberate in our choices, but still write these type of songs that I think fits us into the little world that we're in. And it was great, but after that, it's like, we've kind of reached the thing we want to do with that, with that sound. We refined it and it's like, okay, so what's next? And mm. well, it wasn't like just doing it again because that's boring. Um, and we're not somebody who wants to, like we don't want to repeat ourselves because I've said that I said this to our friend Rob for an interview, but it was like there are infinite things I want to learn how to do, and I don't have the time to do them all. So if I'm going to waste my time writing songs, I better not be writing the same song over and over again. And I truly believe that. And so yeah, I mean, this one was just like this is music we grew up on, this is music we listen to, this is interesting. These are the songs as they kind of it wasn't like a conscious like this is what we're going to do. Just these are the songs as they turned out. And the only conscious decision we made was to like dial the guitars down a little bit because Brave Faces was like a wall of guitars album. Like there's a lot of guitar and it's like hits you in the face. And um, ch just chatting with the band and then chatting with the label, um, 
I think I pitched to the label. I was like, I don't want to have a wall of guitars. And he's like, and even our, our manager's label was like, yeah, I think that's maybe one thing holding you back like a tiny bit. And um, just from like his, you know, business mm. assessment of it. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I, I'm, I'm with you because I don't want to do it. And so that was the only conscious decision was like, let's just dial the guitars back a little bit. And how do we make something big and grand and emotional without it being you know, seven tracks of guitars slamming you in the face. Um, and then so from that, it like lets everything else breathe. You dial the guitars back, then the synth, because like synths and guitars and even bass to an extent, they, and vocals, they take up the same spectrum of like audio, uh, like, oh my gosh, like wavelengths, yep. right? And they all exist in a very specific range. So if the guitar is blanketing everything, there's not really a ton of room for everything else to, to kind of come forward and breathe. Um, so, but as soon as you dial that back, everything else kind of gets brought into the forefront and takes more of a focus. And so I think that's like the funny thing when people say it's more synthy, there's maybe a few more synths, but there's just as many synths on the old songs. You just can't hear them. Yeah. They're mixed slow or they're just blasted over by the guitars and vocals. Um, so yeah, like it, if you look at the session files, there's actually maybe only 10 to 20% more synths, but it sounds like there's maybe 50% more because you can hear it. I like the name of that for your next album. Just 10 or 20% 10 more 10 or 20% synths. more synths. Somebody made a meme. It was like, uh, <laughs> forgive me, Father, for I have synthed. And it was like these people in front of a wall of synths and they put Mind and Mare's face on it and it was very good. Um, but yeah, I think that was just the only conscious thing. And it's just like, this is what we're interested in. This is music I love, you know, this is like in my blood. Um, I'm already thinking about what the next album will sound like. And if we try to refine this further or if we do something entirely different, it just depends on like what we're feeling at the time. I don't think we're ever somebody who's going to take like a, like a complete left turn and alienate anybody. Because I don't think this is a huge departure from what we've done before. It's just a little different. The vampires come at four in the morning Out for blood with their spotlight on me Think about dying but it sounds too lonely Well, some preacher calls you dangerous But you love who you love I know when you walk in the room And we want what we want We can't sort it out Everything in its place A sentimental heartache Wait for that pendulum to go But I know what they say when I walk in the light you put out uh, Brave Faces, Everyone on Pure Noise. You decided to do this on Pure Noise. Is that because you had two album deal or was it because you just liked working with them? This one, No yeah. Joy? Yeah. We have a deal with some options attached. Uh, and so at, at, I should preface this. I love working with them. So it's not like we're stuck with them. Uh, if anything, they're stuck with us. Um, no, they're really nice and, and very... They are a label, we've been very fortunate enough to work with labels who believe in us and what we're doing, whether or not it seems like a smart choice. Because mm -hmm. on paper, it's like a band of people in their early 30s singing about sad stuff with a fan base predominantly from the ages of 24 to 50, like who's never going to like pop and be like a young hot band. 
So, no, Pure Noise is great, and they, like, believe in the project and have really pushed it forward and, like, thrown themselves behind it, which is just great to hear. And I feel like we can be a, you know, I feel like they're proud to work with us, and we're proud to work with them, and it's become, like, a really nice friendship, right? Um, at the same time, yeah, we did Brave Faces, and then they immediately were like, cool, we'll take the option for the next one because it's built into the deal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, of course, it's, you know, it's good. Let's take a little bit of a left turn very quickly. I don't know if you saw the whole Jeff Rosenstock thing. On oh, Social yeah, Media. I retweeted it. I don't know, man. The Internet's stupid. Like, <laughs> get off Twitter. Yeah. Don't be on Twitter. Uh, also, don't take merch cats. I saw somebody say, like, these are negotiable. Even tonight, somebody was like, well, it was negotiated from 20% down to 15%. And I'm like, cool, you got them to give away 5% of what's not even theirs to begin with. So you want me to be thankful that instead of taking 20% of nothing that, that's not there, or 20% of something that's not theirs to begin with, they're only taking 15% of something that's not theirs to begin with. And it's like, you are the problem. And they are the bigger problem. Like, we should be getting along and just agree that merch cuts are fucking stupid and evil and stealing from us. And I'm not going to be thankful that you're only taking 10% of my money. It's not yours to begin with. So stop it. And people are like, well, your, your, your agents can negotiate against. It's like, they try. It won't happen. Live Nation owns everything. And that's the business they're playing. So, like, we have to find another way. And when I, when I tweeted Jeff's thing, I was just like, I don't have a solution for this. Because as soon as we stop this one thing, they'll just find another way to steal from us. You know what I mean? This tour has been wild. There's played a venue. And they're like, yeah, they charge us two fifty per towel that you guys use. And I'm like, why? Because they get stolen? Fucking cost of doing business, you guys. You run a fucking venue. Give us towels. You know, <laughs> like, it's insane. Yeah, artists just get treated like shit. And everybody just expects us to, to shut up and take it because we're, like, fulfilling our egos on stage. And it's like, guess what? It's a fucking job at the same time. Do you think there's worth in the idea of unity? I don't know how 100%, you would do it. 100%. It would be great. Uh, I... I am not read up on this, but somebody had mentioned this. Um, oh, what's his name? Damon Krakowski. Ah, Dada Drummer is his Twitter handle. He's like a musicologist, like a music historian, very vocal about this stuff. And I think he mentioned that there's actively stuff like in some of the label language that's prohibit, like prohibits musicians from, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but like there's basically blocks in the way of musicians even organizing to begin with. But you'll, you're starting to see like a groundswelling of like musicians sort of coming together, musician alliances, musicians unions. Um, I don't know how you would do it because of, you know, you got various label deals. Like how can you collectively bargain against a thousand different entities, right? It's, uh, or, you know, a thousand but, different venues or promoters. But or I mean, as, as we just said, like Live Nation seems to be the one. So yeah, is maybe it a case collectively of, bargaining against, against Live Nation. Nation. <laughs> I can't even, I'm, yeah, I probably can't even talk about it. I'll probably get shut down for talking. No, I'm just kidding, obviously, but I'm nobody. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Uh, I don't know. It would be great. I mean, Everybody it, should unionize. It makes sense they come from punk, right? Like kind of that kind of underground yeah. people grinding for work and... No, man, it's punk to pay merch cuts. Don't you know that? <laughs> it's punk to just fucking suck it up and take it, you know? Uh, yeah, if you want more information, look up Dada Drummer on Twitter because he's way smarter about these things than I 
admittedly have only read a passing article, Substack article of his, and I have forgotten it all. So. We have discovered that only you knowing a little bit about something makes you the, That's the thing the, I'm that always you've afraid done I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot because, like, I don't have the answers. All I can just do is go, like, this is how it is and get a little mad when people are being exploited. Like, I feel like that's not a, it's not a huge ask to allow people to be mad at people being exploited. Exactly. I don't, like, uh, and not expecting them to have an answer. I, I think it's okay not to have an answer. Like, yeah, well, it's yeah. perfectly fine not to have the answer, but it's also perfectly fine to be pissed off by something that you yeah. know is fundamentally wrong. Also, when something is a complex system with millions of moving parts, expecting one person to have a singular solution to the issue is asinine. <laughs> it, that's like saying, like, hey, solve the economy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But these are basically micro-economies, right? So you can't just, you can't just be like, merch cut's bad, here's how we solve it. But if enough people go, merch cut's bad, then we're like, maybe we can start a discussion to find a solution that actually works and can be implemented in a like manageable way you know, rather than just Venny's being like, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. What yeah. I like the idea of is that festivals become little union uh, meetings that you all have because you all meet up. That's where everybody is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's wrap this up then. Last question. Um, this is punk as fuck. I fucking love Phoebe Bridges. I okay. love her music. Yeah. And you've obviously done a cover of <laughs> yes. funerals. Why that cover and what is your favorite cover by another band? Hmm. So that cover was because, I mean, we love that album, and it was pretty soon after that album had come out. And I don't think she had quite blown up, at least not to the level she's at. Yeah. I would never cover a Phoebe song now. Um, I mean, she's covering Bo Burnham now. It's gone full circle. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, um, culture is funny. Um, no, I, I mean, we love, we, love, we love Phoebe, and I especially love that first album. And... Uh, you know, we have friends that are in the various, like, the music world is small, and it's, like, nice to see people working and doing interesting stuff, and especially people you know being like, oh, shit, that's cool. Um, my favorite cover by a band of another band. I'm trying to think of any, like, majorly famous. Isn't Natalie and Brulia's tour in a cover? It's a Turkish cover, yes. yeah. Yeah, maybe that, because that's a hit. It is a hit. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. hit, and that's a classic. There you go. We'll finish with that. Yeah, that's perfect. Also, back to the musicians unionizing. Cool. Every musician I know is a fucking very unorganized piece of shit. So, like, there's no way it's happening. Like, you say, like, at festival. Like, can you imagine being like, okay, now, uh, Fat Mike will be taking minutes. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, this ain't going to happen. Um, but, yeah, we can hope, I guess. We can dream. We need some more spreadsheet geeks. There you go. See, that's yeah. where that's where it's coming from. It's coming from yeah. the spreadsheet. This is listen. There's the, we are out here. I talked to um, Dan from the One Years and I are both big spreadsheet guys, and we talk spreadsheets constantly. Um, so yeah, if you're a fellow spreadsheet nerd, you should just uh, yeah, you should you should hit us up. We should we should talk spreadsheets and numbers. If and, there is a spreadsheet podcast, get in contact. with Oh them. my gosh, yeah, that'd be great. What would that even be about, though? I mean, what would you call it? I'm trying to think of something clever, though. Yeah, it's, so it's, I, I'm not going to... It's too high. I don't hot. know enough about spreadsheets. It's too so high. There you go. Talking sheets? No, talking sheet. Because it kind of... Boom. Have it. Finish Got with it. that. Nailed Finish it. with that goal. Yeah, we're finishing with that. <laughs> Dylan, thank you for watching. Of course, man. Thanks. We'll work out a way.
massive thank you for Dylan for taking up the time and hanging out with me and sharing a drink and getting hot. Uh, be sure to grab yourself a copy of Spanish Love Song's new album, No Joy, or just go pick up a copy of the album that you most enjoy and catch them live whenever they hit your area. And we're going to stop. I'm going to uh, stop now because I'm sweating. I'll be back before you know it. So don't forget to go rate and review this podcast. Your feedback truly does matter. Tell your friends because word of mouth is still the best way to get the podcast out there. And remember, if you go into a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Uh, that's it from me. Bye bye, baby. Giving up somehow